welcome to Stairway to ATJ, the CBA podcast that deals with all things access to justice. We see access to justice as encompassing all efforts to provide people the opportunity to use the justice system when they are in need of a legal remedy. Hi, I'm Anthony Pereira, and I'm the pro bono coordinator for Metro Volunteer Lawyers, which is the pro bono arm of the Denver Bar Association. And I'm Mia Kotnick, the Access to Justice Program Manager for the Colorado Bar Association. Many of you, especially if you're listening to this podcast, have heard of the Access to Justice Commission. But today we're going to figure out what the commission does and learn about their impact on Colorado. We will also learn about the local Access to Justice committees across the state and what the Access to Justice Commission is learning from the 22 judicial districts in Colorado. This episode of Stairway to ATJ is going to cover the works of the Access to Justice Commission, its various subcommittees, and their work on local Access to Justice committees around the state. In our pro bono corner, we will feature uh, Gail Verdasevich and hear her discuss her role as the pro bono coordinator for CLS in Pueblo. We're also going to feature an uh, interview with Elisa Marie Overall, or EMO, who is the executive director of the Access to Justice Commission. So now let's take a look at the pro bono corner. The pro bono corner gives us a chance to hear about pro bono opportunities addressing access to justice from every corner of the state. If you'd like to be featured or know of a program that should be featured, email us at atjpodcast at cobar.org. In this pro bono corner, we have with us Gail Vardasevich. She is a program coordinator for Colorado Legal Services in Pueblo. Gail, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. I appreciate being here. I really appreciate you spotlighting the services in Pueblo, but also uh, highlighting the access to justice across the state. I'm Gail Radosevich, and I'm the pro bono coordinator for Colorado Legal Services in Pueblo County. I'm also the current chair of the Access to Justice Committee for the 10th JD. I've been in this position for 13 years. I came on board when this office was established with the Coltaf grant back in 2008. Uh, this is just one of two programs that's in-house with Colorado Legal Services, the others in Boulder. I'm not an attorney. I came to Colorado Legal Services after 35 years with United Airlines. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit more about the program that you have within Colorado Legal Services? Yes, absolutely. So we have some well-established long-term programs uh, that I call turnkey programs that are specially docketed. One is the Family Law Court Program, and one is the Kinship Adoption Program. The Family Law Court Program is in collaboration with the the 10th JD and also the Pueblo County Bar Association. We do all of the filing status conferences service and then the attorneys actually do settling me settlement meetings that replace court ordered mediation. And then the attorneys represent those clients at the hearings. The kinship adoption works much the same way. Uh, we do everything on the front end and the attorneys then prep the clients and represent them at the adoption hearings. We also have a seal record program now, and we can represent any client who lives in Pueblo County and has a case anywhere in the state of Colorado, or we can represent anyone who lives in Colorado and has a case in Pueblo County. 
We also have a modest means bankruptcy uh, program. As long as the 341 hearings in Colorado Springs or Pueblo, we can have those clients who apply. And that actually covers 22 counties in the state of Colorado. We've been doing a neighborhood legal advice clinic since 2010. Prior to COVID, it was in person. And with COVID, we've embraced technology. And now we have a virtual platform using Teams format. And we found that's a real plus. Uh, attorneys can live anywhere, come in on their phones, their uh, laptops, um, computers. And it works really well for the clients as well because they can live anywhere in the state of Colorado now. It's just a phone call away. We are working uh, with the court and with the Pueblo County Bar Association and Colorado Legal Services on an eviction diversion program for Pueblo County. And uh, in the fall, we're just ready to launch a power of attorney and end of life document clinic um, that will look a lot like what the MVL is doing. Mm -hmm. And we think that should be ready to go early fall 2021. Awesome. Sounds like you guys are providing a lot of um, services. And it also sounds like you are relying a lot on your volunteers. How would a um, potential volunteer get involved with CLS and, and all the stuff that you guys do in Pueblo? Oh, I'd love to uh, talk to anyone who might have an interest in helping us or might have an interest in learning more about these programs. Um, with the FLCP and kinship adoption, we actually use these to mentor attorneys and as an incubator. So attorneys who might want to learn about family law or adoption um, can uh, use that as an opportunity to learn another area of law and we get help at the same time. Um, I'm at G. Radosevich, and that's G-R-O-D-O-S-E-V-I-C-H at colegalserve.org, and that's serve without an E, or go to our website at www.coloradolegalservices.org. Choose Pueblo, you'll see all the programs and all of my contact information is there. Um, so any attorney that would like information or would like to get involved in these programs, we certainly would uh, welcome them making the contact with us. Awesome, and I think you mentioned this already, but um, volunteers can be from any county and anywhere, or are you looking for Pueblo attorneys specifically? Uh, when we first started, it was Pueblo attorneys specifically, but now that we have virtual platforms in uh, some of these programs, the SIL records, the bankruptcy, uh, and they ask an attorney legal program. Attorneys can really be um, from anywhere licensed in Colorado. Um, the FLCP and kinship adoption program, an attorney would have to be willing to actually go to court in Pueblo. The last couple of hearings have been in person, although we've been doing the settlement meetings via Zoom. That's wonderful to hear. Um, can you share with us a success story that you've had recently with um, any of these programs? Oh, yes. Um, I think anytime a, a client gets some help uh, with their legal issues, that's, that's some success. But I can tell you about one that comes to mind. Um, about a year ago, we had a young lady call us. We had helped her. She was a prior, prior client with uh, a civil protection order and a divorce. But when she called us, um, she had no job, 
and she had no stable housing. She and her three young children were couch surfing from neighbor to neighbor and also from um, relative to relative. And she was really in jeopardy of losing her children. So we found out from that call that the problem she was having is she had an extensive criminal record um, of seven cases that were showing up on her background record. So she couldn't pass a background for an application for employment or for housing, especially section eight. And at first glance, um, it looks uh, seven criminal records, but when you understand the story behind the circumstances, because she was in an abusive relationship, she was in the wrong place at the right time. So we decided that we would take those seven cases and file them uh, with the hopes of sealing all seven, but at a least case scenario, clearing some of that background record. We filed all seven cases. She was granted relief. We successfully sealed all those cases. And here she is less than a year later. She has employment. She has Section 8 housing. Um, she has her children with her. And she was really in a downward spiral uh, to nowhere. And now she has a future. Um, and the call from her was very, very good just a month ago that this program gave her the opportunity to move forward. So I tell you that story, not only for the attorneys who helped her and, and for this client, but also hopefully we can expand these types of programs to give people a second chance uh, for all the reasons that I just told you about with this, this young woman that we helped. It's really wonderful to hear um, how impactful um, programs like yours are. So thank you again so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for including me. Today's interview is going to focus on the Access to Justice Commission, which is a group made up of a lot of the big players in ATJ throughout Colorado. They take a big picture approach to access to justice and develop, coordinate, and implement policy initiatives to expand access and to enhance the quality of justice in civil legal matters for people who encounter barriers in gaining access to Colorado's civil justice system. The last part was their mission statement. I am thrilled to introduce you to the new executive director of the Access to Justice Commission. Elisa Overall, who also goes by EMO, has dedicated her career to issues of equity, social justice, and inclusion. She is an experienced nonprofit executive, organizational strategist, and advocate. Prior to joining the Access to Justice Commission, EMO worked in private practice as a criminal defense attorney doing criminal appeals and post-conviction cases. She also lived and worked in southwest Colorado for nearly a decade, doing nonprofit work with the region's immigrant communities. Emo grew up with her Mexican-American family in Tucson, Arizona, and spent some of her young years living in Sonora, Mexico. Today, she and her husband lived in Lakewood, Colorado, and spend much of their time with their Boston Terriers, chasing after their toddler, Leo. Welcome, Emo. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So how was joining the commission in the middle of a global pandemic? Well, actually, it was it was delightful. I got to meet so many people, not just across 
Colorado, but nationwide. So there are counterparts, there are emos and lots of other states that I've gotten to meet and um, just leaders in this field who have, you know, each conversation has added so much to my growing understanding of access to justice. And um, so truly everywhere from Michigan to DC to Los Angeles to uh, Chicago and every just everywhere in between so it's been it's actually been really neat to be able to collaborate like this um without the the challenge of distance one of the silver linings of everyone doing zoom is it seems more natural to meet with someone across states totally yeah and get to see them it's really impressive i know zoom existed before but you know i didn't know about it (laughs) (laughs) so emo in a sentence or two what does access to justice mean to you To me, access to justice means having all the information and all the tools and all the resources and and services that you need in order to address and eventually resolve your civil issue, your civil justice issue. And that's obviously a very, very broad range of issues. But uh, in Colorado, we focus our access to justice commission on civil needs, but I think as a concept, it really kind of crosses all the the entire justice system. And um, I know you're still somewhat new to this role. Um, can you talk about how you thought about access to justice before you joined the commission? And it sounds like through some of those conversations you referenced, um, how you think about access to justice now? Sure, yeah. Well, pre- previously, I was a criminal defense attorney, so this was a really, really new field. This whole kind of landscape was super new to me. And before I entered this role, I really thought that access to justice meant finding a pro bono attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have since learned that it's really a, an expansive field. I've started to think about it sort of as a continuum. So if you think about on one end is this the DIY litigant, someone who's never going to have any Um, attorneys helping them at all so they're totally on their own what does that person need and that's more things like self-help tools and um, and resources and simple forms and simplified procedures Um, if that person doesn't um, is not a native English language speaker then that person will need those things translated and um, interpretation services and then kind of moving on towards the opposite side of the spectrum, on the opposite side, is the fully represented litigant. So somebody who has Colorado Legal Services or Alpine Legal Services actually representing them start to finish, or a pro bono attorney, again, start to finish. And then there's all these people along the way. So there are um, litigants who can uh, can address their civil issue with some help. So we have Sherlock's in the in the courts um, to help them navigate. Uh, there are, and we also have think about things like um, clinics and and um, other types of handholding type of services and directing. And then there's actual legal um, advice. So things like uh, legal night and um, and those types of clinics. And then unbundled services and so you kind of moving towards the the full representation side and increasing the level of of attorney involvement so now i kind of understand that broad arc of what access to justice really is and i also have learned 
about the impact to society, the amount of dollars saved, uh, not only in things like like avoided homelessness and avoided um, avoided unemployment, but also transgenerational trauma that is caused by unresolved legal issues like an eviction, loss of income, family violence, those sorts of things. Um, those really affect families and they af- affect families over the course of generations, not just the one individual in that one moment in time. Awesome. I run uh, MBL's Family Law Unbundled program, so the continuum of legal services definitely um, rings true with me. Um, so let's take a step backwards and kind of give us a little bit of background. What is this Access to Justice Commission? Yeah, uh, well, it is a a group of about 30 commissioners, and 20 of them are, um, are appointed. And they, um, they are appointed by different entities that have a stake in our civil justice system being uh, accessible. So I was just about to ask, can you list a couple of those uh, entities? Yeah, so the Colorado Supreme Court, the bar, uh, legal aid organizations, actually the legislature um, and the governor, they all appoint commissioners and the commissioners are all volunteer and they actually, the commission was established 18 years ago. So it's been doing its good work for quite a long time. I'm the first ever staff to um, dedicate myself full-time to them. So uh, the commission is hoping to be able to really amplify what it does. That's awesome. And can you tell us about any um, past accomplishments or initiatives our listeners might be familiar with or may not be familiar with? Yeah, I think some of them will probably be somewhat new because without a full-time staff, without someone really dedicating themselves to um, to helping the commission, it hasn't had the capacity to really communicate and promote what it's been doing. So it's kind of stayed quiet. But um, the work that it's done in the past, it has uh, conducted statewide hearings. So it conducted one in 2008 and another one in 2014 with the aim of increasing legislative appropriations for legal aid and both times quite successfully so um, after the 2008 hearing and and report the legislature increased funding um, quite a bit if I if my numbers are correct from about 420,000 to over 600,000 at that point in time so and then in 2014 kind of a similar increase so although if you Ask John Asher, the executive director <laughs> of the Colorado Legal Services. He will always um, rightfully insist that that's not enough, and that's absolutely true. But um, so that's one of the accomplishments of the commission. Another one is the local access to justice committees. So um, an appellate court judge, Judge Taubman, l- embarked on a journey long, long ago to um, with the aim of of not creating but encouraging the formation of a local access to justice committee in each judicial district. And uh, as I was onboarding for this job, he said, I never got one in the 13th, but I'm still still <laughs> hopeful. So I was kind of, that was my mission. And we're, we're um, working on forming one right now with their new chief judge. So um, those are committees that, that were, I would say, encouraged and kind of um, tended to by the commission and continue to be so today. 
So I went to an equal justice conference from the American Bar Association a couple years ago, and there I found out that Colorado is one of two states with these local access to justice committees. Can you kind of tell me a little bit more about how these local committees that you mentioned interact with the commission itself? Yeah, the committees are totally independent. They, you know, um, they do their thing and they do it so well and with so much just innovation and in a lot of places, especially the the less populated places with so much tenacity because it's just a handful of people who are just trying to do this work over and over for years and years. Um, but so those committees, they, they are completely independent, but the commission has a committee that supports their work and brings them together every other month. So there's a actually gosh, tomorrow, I think, tomorrow evening, there's a meeting with all of the, we'll call them chairs, but basically the contact people, the point people of each committee, so that they, we can come together, share what's going on kind of in this statewide landscape of access to justice, and then each committee will report on what it's been up to. And during this pandemic, uh, I think the ability to share new innovations with one another, okay, we're doing this legal clinic virtually now and here's how we're or here's family law day this is how we're doing it it's instead of a day it's over the course of a week and we have it up on a website and that sort of thing those innovations have um, been able to be shared among the committee members and so we're really just a sort of a hub for (laughs) (laughs) for for the gathering and sharing of information and um, and I myself have just been delighted to meet all of the chairs or the, the contact people for the various committees across the state. And it's definitely one of the highlights of my job. So thank you so much for sharing about the local access to uh, justice subcommittees. Um, we understand there's other subcommittees under the Access to Justice Commission. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what what the committee versus subcommittee distinction is, perhaps, but most of them are committees. There are a few subcommittees. Um, But so, for example, there's the courts committee. The courts committee is really focusing on those types of things like simplified procedures or plain language forms. So, for example, right now there's a plain language form um, pilot project in two judicial districts, and hopefully those will be successful and will be grown out throughout the rest of Colorado. There is the resource committee, which focuses on increasing legislative and other um, and other funding for legal aid across the state. There is the technology committee, which is focused on trying to um, trying to create and also organize the online materials that can help self-represented litigants. There's uh, we have an executive committee, which is in charge of me and other things. And <laughs> there is the delivery committee, which uh, is really pretty extraordinary. They focus on pro bono, everything pro bono. Um, and gosh, I'm I'm leaving at least a couple. Actually, I wrote them down. Delivery. Oh, the FED task force. So um, after COVID, a task force was created to sort of assess the issue on the horizon of evictions and make some recommendations. Um, then there's the local access to justice support subcommittee. As far as I understand, that is the only subcommittee. And I, I, I'm not sure how that happened. I, that was before me, but, um, so that committee is the one that I was just describing and gosh, I think that, I think that sums it up for now. So you've been doing a listen and learn tour 
Um, can you kind of tell us what that is and what that's all about? Yeah, sure. It was also conceived of just before I came on as ED. So I'm, um, I, I jumped onto a very fast moving train, which is this listening tour made made possible uh, as, as far as speed by this new virtual world that we live in. And so uh, Colorado Supreme Court Justice Melissa Hart, who's also a commissioner on our commission, she is leading this listening tour. And the idea is sort of as we start to recover from COVID, trying to gather lessons learned and silver linings and um, and really pull them all together into a report with the intention of finding and driving innovative solutions for those, for those, um, the findings. And so what we're asking different communities to share is what barriers in, um, in accessing the civil justice system their constituencies are facing. And so this is kind of a unique tour for, at least for an access to justice commission, because we're gathering not just legal people, so you know judges and um, and Sherlock's and court execs and stuff like that, but we're also gathering together community service providers and asking them all to join us in one space and um, and really describe the, the barriers their constituencies are facing. And what's been neat about it is not only um, not only hearing just really detailed and and very important information, but also seeing them make connections with one another. So seeing the silo between judicial and community start to break down and actually, you know, really learning from one another. Um, So that's been, that's been extremely cool. We started out in, uh, gosh, I think the first one was in March in the Colorado Springs area, fourth judicial district. And we have hit almost every judicial district now having two meetings per district except for the denver metro area so that's the next (laughs) (laughs) little caveat here but um yeah just getting getting to see rural colorado so up close and personal has been an enormous privilege it's so exciting to hear you uh, talk about this and the holistic perspective that you take. That's the theme that often comes up in our podcasts. Um, could you share any stories or any barriers you've discovered from a few of the districts uh, you guys have visited? Yeah, um, the barriers are really, in especially in rural Colorado, the new term is legal deserts, which I don't know who came up with that, but it's very descriptive. Um, there are areas, so I'm thinking, for example, in Werfano County, way down south, there are like five attorneys in the entire judicial district. And so it's pretty easy to see how somebody could get conflicted off of a case or how in a divorce, one party might literally just not have any options, whereas the other party might have an, be represented and have an attorney. Um, so that is a, a pretty profound barrier that um, that is very real across the state. And then internet access, honestly. Mm-hmm. There have been so many of these Zoom calls where uh, Justice Hart and I kind of look at each other and think, huh, a lot of people don't want to put their video on. But then we realize there's just not enough broadband for people for their Zoom to be able to handle video and audio. So, uh, and And a lot of those just, you know, ironically, people will start freezing up and you know I have unstable connection and whatnot and so uh, really broadband is very very 
important and sorely lacking in a lot of rural Colorado. Um, And then what's very near and dear to my heart because of my background is the immigrant communities and the, the fear that they feel. And it's just, it's so deep, the Mm -hmm. fear and mistrust that they feel of the courts. So, I mean, in, for example, in the sixth judicial district down in Durango, I was, um, Connect, we've connected with Compañeros, which is a nonprofit that I had heard of but not really interfaced with. And I asked, is there is there a world in which you can imagine your constituencies feeling comfortable going into the courts? And the answer was really no. Um, and that's so sad. Um, some of it's generational trauma, you know, when, when one watches or perceives that their parents have been... Um, have been either mistreated or or feel aggrieved by the system, then that kind of trickles down and percolates to um, to generations and then to neighbors and to entire communities. Um, and our courts were not long ago actually being used to um, to corral immigrants into a known place at a known time so that immigration and customs enforcement could come and get them. So, you know, as as quickly as you can turn that switch off with a policy, it takes generations for that kind of that fear to actually Mm -hmm. um, dissipate. Yeah, the fear of the courtroom is definitely a legitimate concern. Um, We've done virtual clinics and in-person clinics, and a lot of my applicants don't want to go to in-person clinics. I think it's because of that fear of the courtroom just generally, even though it's to get legal advice and legal help. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I appeared in front of a judge and I was, you know, shape, my knees were shaking, my hands were shaking. I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to a piece of paper. So I, I can imagine and I, I see um, how intimidating and, and really how scary the courtroom can be. So we kind of talked about where the commission was, and then we kind of talked about where it is right now. What do you kind of see is going to happen in the future with the commission? What's next? I don't want to overpromise or or uh, speak out of turn, and but I I do know uh, for sure that we will be going to the Denver metro area and this final push with our learning tour is on the horizon. So that will be in the next upcoming months, and then the important work of really. Um, analyzing that data. So what we've been doing with each judicial district and each meeting, in fact, is um, recording it for internal purposes and and compiling detailed, detailed notes about what was discussed and then creating themes um, and then kind of mapping the themes together by, by region. It's been really interesting work. And so we will be using that data um, and, you know, like, lowercase d data because of the nature of what of this subject um and i'm not a social scientist neither is justice hart or anyone (laughs) on the commission but um this is our uh this is this is what we have and so compiling that and creating a final report that can be used in order to um to really show people like legislators and people like elected officials in each region what areas are worthy of funding right now. For example, um, you know, COVID rescue funds are abound. There's more money than we'll ever see again in our lifetimes out there for, um, for things like legal aid. So really being able to, to help funnel those funds to where they're needed. Um, another 
kind of chapter is we're going to be updating our strategic action plan in November. So the strategic action plan came out of that um, Justice for All Summit. I think you were, is that what you were talking about, Anthony? So the Justice for All Summit's different. I also went to that, but the um, American Bar Association puts on an equal justice conference every year. Oh, right. Um, Yeah, you attended that. Yep. And uh, it's really good. There's a lot of program coordinators and people in positions like yourself and, and myself and Mia um, go to this and learn about different what people are doing throughout the country as far as access to justice. And we learned about things like injustice bus and, and things like that in previous yeah. episodes. Yeah, actually, I, I'm now remembering that you were one of the people who attended virtually. You were one of the names that I got to see. This This was, I think, like my second month as the executive director. So I was extremely overwhelmed while attending <laughs> that conference, to be honest. <laughs> like, yep. I know nothing. Uh, but yeah, it's so cool. So the Justice for All Summit, can you kind of explain what that was and what came out of that? Yeah, the Justice for All Summit, uh, I was not involved in. It was in 2018, but it's my understanding that it was was funded and it it started as a statewide um, kind of inventory of what where Colorado's strengths are in access to justice areas and then a summit where lots and lots of stakeholders, over 100 individuals came together and came up with a strategic action plan for the Access to Justice Commission. So it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty expansive plan. Um, And 2018 was like, you know, 10 million years ago now. So (laughs) (laughs) it's time for us to kind of roll our sleeves up and recalibrate. So we'll be doing that in November. And then I, on my way here, I thought, oh, yeah, Finding Nemo, funding emo is another um, <laughs> is another thing on the horizon. Uh, funding emo. So we have two years of funding right now for me, and uh, my job is to secure long term funds. So doing lots of exploring and kind of probing different different areas. But um, I'll keep you posted on that one. I can't <laughs> I can't, can't over promise there. I would love to circle back right to the beginning of this interview. You were talking about all the wonderful conversations you had with folks across the country. Um, what was promising? What did you learn from other states that you're going to bring to Colorado? Oh, there's there's some really neat things that I envision on the horizon for Colorado. So, for example, a loan repayment program for attorneys who... Um, who live and work in rural Colorado, other states have that. And it's, and you know, if you, after, well, if you have your salary subsidized because, or, you know, boosted because you live in and work in a rural area as an attorney, that's a lot more attractive to, you know, go and live in Pueblo or to live in, uh, you know, Clear Creek. So, or if you know that your, um, you know, your loans are going to be repaid because of that work, it just really incentivizes it, and it's working well in other states. Um, there are, there are professionals who are just so amazing in self-help resources. The resources that we have now, they, they can be so much more simple, um, and with some funding and with some. Um, some help from professionals who do this for a living, not just um, the amazing Sherlock's who are trying to put together like an instructional pamphlet for how to get on WebEx uh, with with some more coordination and really some help from the experts. We can make super simple and very easy process focused 
um, instructional materials like videos and actual, you know, written materials that also take into account the their trauma informed. You know, they take mm-hmm. into account the fact that almost everybody who is searching for a legal resource is in a moment of distress, mm-hmm. and um, and so what they need to be looking at needs to be so much more digestible and simple and speak to what they are looking for right that moment. So um, so there's so much progress that can be kind of made on that front. Um, gosh, I just, there's, there's so many things like a legal bus, mobile, um, mobile law clinics, mm-hmm. um, having statewide, having a kind of artificial intelligence assisted way to shepherd someone through creating a form. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you guys know from the conference that there's, there's a lot of promising stuff that we can bring to our state. Yeah. Well, we always like to wrap up on a high note. Can you share a recent success story? Yeah, I, I thought of two. Um, one of them, uh, I don't know that the commission itself can take total credit for this, but it's such an um, exciting development that the commission has at least played some part in. And that is that um, the chief justice in Colorado has announced announced last month that Colorado will soon be um, be allowing a limited legal license. So much like in the medical world with, you know, doctors, but then also people like um, like uh, uh, physicians assistants, this would be a um, a more limited license, but somebody with the ability to give legal advice who's not a full JD attorney and um, and that would be a much shorter term um, educational experience and much cheaper. Therefore, they can offer their services for less. Um, so that is that is the details are going to be ironed out uh, over the course of this year in lots of committees and subcommittees. And then um, hopefully we'll just really have a statewide program come 2023. And then there's a more personal story, which is a uh, a Colorado Legal Services attorney, Allison Esser, AJ Esser, Allison Esser. She attended the 19th Judicial District convenings, the this listening tour, and afterwards she emailed me and said, "You know, I realized that I'm I'm really passionate about this, and um, knowing what I know, you know, up close, and how how access to justice is so important." I think I'm going to run to be a district court judge. And so she put her hat in the ring and she was she was um, appointed to be the district court judge. Oh, so we wow. have an ATJ warrior now on the bench. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm thrilled that we could kind of put that little bit of an idea in her head and, and really have her be in a position to to promote change really help and tack the issue for multiple sides from the bench from the commission from the attorneys from the applicants themselves or the clients themselves right yeah awesome well thank you so much for coming down today thank you guys so much too for having me um i hope that i will still be around to do another round of interviews with you someday in a couple years absolutely we look forward to it So we at the Stairway to ATJ would like to thank Gail Vodasevich for joining us in our pro bono corner. Don't forget to get involved. We also like to thank Emil for joining us today for our interview section. And also thank you for listening to this episode of Stairway to ATJ. 
Be sure to check out other CBA podcasts, including The Modern Law Revolution, Our Voices, and Getting Legal With It. If you have an ATJ subject that you would like us to cover here on this podcast, feel free to send us an email at atjpodcast at cobar.org. I'm Anthony Pereira. Be good to each other. And I'm Mia Kotnick. Keep climbing, stay curious, and come volunteer with us.